podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Well, listeners, I'm Mo Chatra and welcome to another episode of Money Talks. We've got um, a very big story to talk about on this episode. It's to do with um, the recent uh, situation involving Chelsea Football Club. And um, to discuss the story and all the repercussions around it um, is the football news reporter from The Athletic, Matt Slater. How are you doing, Matt? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Um, I mean, without further ado, then, th- th- this is um, a story that's really grown arms and legs over the last uh, week, week and a bit, um, obviously stemming from the situation in Ukraine and uh, what Russian involvement in that. Uh, now, first of all, um, Roman Bramovich, I think just over a week ago, um, or nearly a week ago, in fact, um, made an announcement through Chelsea Football Club that um, he was taking the decision to um, hand over um, the stewardship and care, quote-unquote, of Chelsea Football Club to Chelsea's Charitable Foundation. Um, but then that that seemed to come undone very quickly when there was hesitancy about whether that was even plausible. And trustees um, even talked about as potentially resigning from the foundation um, were that to go ahead. Um, subsequent to that, um, you know, it was then announced that uh, Roman was putting the club up for sale. And there have been rumours that um, he's keen indeed on a very quick sale. Um, so can you just tell our listeners about why Abramovich is looking to sell Chelsea so quickly? Uh, well, um, well, I think for reasons that everyone can understand, you know, he's a very prominent Russian businessman who um, has had um, links with the Russian government going back many years. Um, how close those links are? Well, that's a, a matter of debate and has been a matter of of some legal contention for, for many years. Um, I haven't really got much more to add on that. <laughs> I think people can do their own research. There are lots of books sure. have been written about it. Yeah. Um, and he has until very recently and may well again been a very litigious man. So, um, and he's not alone in that he's an oligarch mm. there are many oligarchs i think everyone who's listening to us now will, will will be aware of that term and the fact that there are prominent russians um in many different walks of life in in in, in the uk and elsewhere um and um 
you know, Abramovich very high profile because, yeah, he's very rich, but he's chosen to put his money into pretty much the most high profile sport out there. And he's bankrolled Chelsea and made them very, very successful over the last 19 years. Um, why is he selling them? <sighs> Clearly because he feels there's a good chance he's going to be sanctioned. And um, I, I don't think anyone can blame him for thinking that because it's been talked about in the House of Commons on several occasions over the last week or so, starting with Chris Bryant, um, Keir Starmer, Leader of the Opposition, opened parliamentary questions on, uh, Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday, the very first question, why hasn't Roman Abramovich been sanctioned yet? So, um, so it's a pretty clear signal there. Um, he lost his right to live here in 2018. He lost his visa. Uh, that was after the Salisbury poisonings. So um, the direction of travel is pretty clear. Now uh, he's he's you know kind of read the runes and thought, well, I need to I need to do something. And as you said in your question, the first step was this attempt to create some distance between himself and the club by handing it over to the trustees of its charitable foundation. That was on Saturday, the day before the Carabao Cup final. Well, that never really looked like it was going to work. It looked like it had been sort of as an as an idea, you know, kind of patched together. He certainly hadn't consulted the trustees. Um, would it wash? Would it fly? You know, was the charity commission going to let it happen? There was no real change of control, not legally. There was no attempt to run it by the Premier League in their owners and directors test. He was still retaining control. The chair was still there. The chair sits on both foundation and uh, club, the chief exec. Nothing was really changing apart from this sort of cosmetic attempt to create distance. You know, we get to, we get into this week. And as I said, the question has just carried on. The sanctions list is growing. You know, Alicia Usmanov, one of Everton's biggest sponsors, has been as well. He's about to be. Added. He's certainly been added in the European Union. Um, actually, has been added now, hasn't he? So, so um, it's hard to keep up. Um, so, like I said, direction of travel. The fact that he's been in the fight, he's been is being talked about at the very, you know, very prominently. He clearly feels he needs to move on properly. Move on before this asset is frozen. Because if he is sanctioned, we are kind of in uncharted territory. It's a bit of a cliche, but it is. British football certainly never had to deal with anything like this before. And our sanctions regime, actually, as, as, as laws, aren't that old. And we've not really had to sort of talk about what happens to a high-profile company like this, one that's actually trading, one that has for fixtures to fill, one that has money coming in and out all the time. What happens when you effectively freeze their bank accounts? So all kinds of repercussions to Abramovich being sanctioned and he hasn't been sanctioned yet. And I should also add that he repeatedly and his representatives repeatedly say, why would he be sanctioned? Because he's just a businessman. But anyway, for all the things I've just discussed, he clearly feels there's a risk that he might be sanctioned. Otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. So that's why he's put them up for sale. There is clearly a matter of uh, um, time is of the essence here. You know, he is, He's made it pretty clear he wants a quick sale. Uh, and that's it. You know, that's 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 the sort of basis of, of all that's happened this week. Oh, sure. Um, and uh, just on the subject of sanctions and about assets being frozen, were that to materialise where Bramford was concerned, um, the, the Office of Financial Sanctions uh, would uh, potentially get involved and were 
the activities around Chelsea Football Club to be frozen because of its um, clear and obvious link to uh, Roman Abramovich. Um, as you just noted, there could be practical implications such as the club's ability to uh, pay players and other staff. And uh, were that to happen, um, that, that, that could have very serious repercussions for Chelsea Football Club, um, not only in the short term, but even longer term as well. Um, so, so clearly um, there is that concern that if, if that is to materialise, Chelsea could be at quite a serious risk. Um, so, so therefore, um, to try and avoid the potential sanctions, the potential for the asset being frozen and all, all that encompasses, it is something that I think Chelsea are taking seriously and Abramovich is clearly taking seriously else he would not be um, entertaining uh, bids for the club. Um, and, and obviously there's been a lot of talk in the last two to three days about, um, you know, one or two um, individuals or stakeholders who might be looking to bid for Chelsea and perhaps bids have already come in. Um, has been talk about uh, the fact that Abramovich has been keen to um, sell the club for perhaps up to four billion pounds. Um, but given the urgency the or the apparent urgency with which um, a sale is sought, um, it does seem likely that he will struggle to sell the club for anywhere near that kind of money, doesn't it? Well, I mean, yeah, there's lots, lots, lots in there. So, I mean, just to sort of um, unwind, rewind a tiny bit. Look, if if he's sanctioned, there's there's absolutely no dispute that that the club is in is in a terrible position. They're a wholly owned club. I mean, the parent company is Ford Stam. He's he's the he's the hundred percent owner of that club. Um, you know, if you are sanctioned, all your UK assets become frozen, and it's it goes beyond the, the payment of players. You, you think about all a football club has to do if it has no access to its bank account. Um, you know, it, it all falls apart. How does it pay bills? How does it get? How does it put games on safely? Um, and that's money coming in and coming out, uh, coming in and going out as well. So it, oh. it's it's um, yeah. I mean, look, like I said, uncharted territory. It, it would be impossible really for, for for sort of Chelsea to carry on trading and that means fulfill fixtures um, that means people walking out the door um, unless some exception was carved and there are the, the rules are quite complicated and like I say they are in many ways untested certainly for football um, you know could could the Premier League could the government could uh, some sort of administration type um, process be sort of set up? Could it be placed in some sort of trust that it could carry on? But even there, that would just sort of buy them some time because they're a loss-making club. They're cash flow negative. We know that he's put in about 1.5 billion already as of, as of last year, uh, over his 19 years. So it's about 80 million a year that they lose. Okay, all right, that's been skewed a little bit by COVID. But you know, like I said, it's over 19 years he put. He was putting in huge amounts at the beginning of their oh. sorts of transformation. So, so you know that him being sanctioned is is massive, right? Um, in terms of what they're worth, well, look, what is a what is a football club worth? Uh, that's that's something that you know, we could debate at the best of times. Um, you know, most of them lose money. Um, um, Chelsea have clearly changed their picture over the last sort of 19, 20 years. They are 
in most in most lists, be it the Deloitte list or Forbes list or whatever you want to do, they are an established member of the European aristocracy now. Um, they've made it, if you like. They've they've sort of you know they've 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 uh, yeah become established power. Um, mm. You know, club world champions. He's completed the set, right? So. Um, Fantastic sort of training ground, lots of great players. Um, I think they're sort of seventh, eight, I think it might be eighth in terms of revenue. Um, yeah. But okay, but we still come back to the fact they're loss making and that um, a lot of all of those good things about Chelsea are because Abramovich has chosen, for whatever reason, I think you know, he's clearly a football fan as well, to lavish them with that much money so they have they are worth that much to him put it that way now um one of the things that flowed from him losing his visa in 2018 was it eventually effectively put a full stop on a long-running conversation about upgrading perhaps even replacing Stanford Bridge which is one of the things that kind of holds them back even within their peer group so we talk about the big six or you know the big dozen the big 15 in 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 Europe their stadium is very old and tired and small and um, to replace Stanford Bridge um, is gonna cost them north of one and a half billion probably 2 billion building there. The cost of building materials has just shot up. So it'd be more expensive than the Tottenham build. Um, And that is something that he effectively pulled the plug on. So do you factor that into the price? Well, you can be sure if you're talking about most American investors, which is where most of the money is these days, large Mm. hedge funds and private equity funds. um, They, they would definitely be factoring that into the equation. And look, it's it. What football clubs are worth is, is sort of what someone's willing to pay you at any given time. Um, he knocked back, he was knocking back offers of 2.2, 2.3 billion a few years ago when Sir Jim Ratcliffe, uh, the, the sort of chemicals uh, billionaire, uh, the man behind Ineos, and um, he's now bought Nice. Um, he, he was interested, had a look, but decided it was just too much. Um, an American billionaire, called Todd Bewley, who owns the LA Dodgers uh, in baseball. He had a look. A couple other people had a look as well. But at the time, Abramovich wanted $3 billion. Now, I know that a few weeks ago, he put them back effectively on the market. Now, some of these clubs never actually come off the market, but he certainly, he certainly asked a, a US investment bank um, called the Rain Group to kind of test the market again. And... At that point, it was it was about four billion. That was the sort of number I was hearing. Um, now he's not getting four billion now, is he? Not the minute you say I am publicly putting it on the market with a kind of clock on the process because I might be sanctioned soon. Um, so Chelsea appear, you know, they're not a distressed asset, but they kind of take on. What is this? Is this a fire sale? Is this is it a clearance sale? What's going on? This this guy needs an offer now. Oh. Now, there are various kind of elements to this though, because if you wait too long, you might not be able to buy it from him. Because if he's sanctioned, you can't buy this club from him. So that kind of clock works both ways. You might want to lowball your offer, and he might get to a point where he's saying, "Well, what's the point? I'm I'm just you know I'm gonna I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit." 
I will somehow work out a legal way to to hand this club over to a trustee. And I'm just they're not going to confiscate this asset. I don't think they're going to confiscate this asset. They're just going to freeze it. So I will wait for this all to blow over. That is that's that that's the sort of kind of I wouldn't say it's a juggling act, but that's the kind of equation that people are weighing up now. It's clearly not worth four. It's not worth three. Is it worth two? Yeah, maybe that's probably about where the bidding is going to start now. And then it's just a case of, well, we, we need to create, we need to create like anything with a house or any kind of auction, you need to create some competition in the market. So, you know, we've already seen Chelsea claiming and briefing that they've received offers for 3 billion. I don't believe that for one minute. Yeah. That, well, they might, they might well have received someone saying they'd give them uh, 3 billion. It's a very different thing to actually sort of see proof of funds and uh, a willingness to actually send 3 billion. Um, I, I, I would think that the price is going to be a little bit uh, lower than that, but we shall see, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, quite. And um, I think that uh, also linked to this is the fact that it has been increased scrutiny on the Premier League. I think Richard Masters sort of acknowledged this yesterday that uh, certainly where any prospective owners um, might come forward, um, obviously they have to carry out their relevant checks and uh, you know, there's clearly scrutiny around their checks or perhaps lack thereof where it came to the sale of Newcastle United and to the consortium that bought that club, uh, that club a few months ago. Um, so again, if Abramovich is keen to achieve a quick sale, um, he's got to factor that in. Um, but um, nonetheless, um, this, you know, certainly away from whatever's going on off the pitch um, certainly must have some bearing on what will be happening on the pitch. Um, there'll be uncertainty amongst players. Um, there'll be agents in the rears talking about what could happen um, to them. You know, you know, if the worst happens to Chelsea, with you know, bank accounts and whatever being frozen. Um, and I mean, even to the point that today, um, you know, Thomas Tuchel had to you know make clear that he is sticking by the club as well. Um, so, it's, so it's clearly that there'll be a lot of uh, worry um, amongst the coaches and playing staff um, about what the short-term future holds for the club. Um, so ha- has there been any indications as yet about any kind of uh, concerns extending to the point that players and their representatives might be reaching out to other clubs as yet, or is it too early at this stage? Yeah, I think it's too early for that. Um, look, mm. Because they're just the speed of events, right? I mean, it's been it's been pretty relentless this week. They've obviously then you know they had to play a Carabao Cup final against Liverpool on Sunday, mm. um, and a, and, a, and a FA Cup match at Luton on um, what was that Wednesday? Oh, losing track was it Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday. So, yeah. so there's been you know there's been an, and they're preparing for a game this weekend. So there's been an awful lot going on. They've had a lot. They've had a lot to deal with, um, but. You know, we could be talking about any club right now that was for sale under very different circumstances. And that always creates a little bit of uncertainty, you know, particularly if your owner was someone like Roman Abramovich, who for 19 years has has proven that sort of, well, has shown, demonstrated that, well, sort of money was no object, really, that he was quite happy to pump whatever money was required and what he was able to certainly in the financial fair play era to achieve success and if that meant um turning cob and the training ground into into a sort of a, a genuinely kind of world leading training ground fine if it meant bringing in managers firing managers 
Um, if they weren't working out, go getting another, you know, absolutely sort of top top guy. We'll, we will do that. Um, yeah, it's obviously the playing budget, the wages that they've paid. You know, and if that guy, if 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 that guy tells you he's going, well, you'd be thinking, well, right, what's happened happening next? You know, life is life going to change? Um, and you know, you don't you put this into Twitter, and you'll 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 get a pretty quick sense of what Chelsea fans think. You know, they 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 they, they love Ramovic. Um, and um you know they they are concerned that um certainly most of the reporting so far in this country has been that us private equity hedge funds etc or even just U- us billionaires are the sorts of people we think are likely to emerge as as a new owner, be them themselves or in a syndicate, which is very you know very similar to to, to, to Liverpool's arrangement, um, mm. of course. So they worry about that. They think, well, this idea of this sort of sugar daddy owner that, that's gone. You know, if it's an American owner, if it's a, if it's a bank, if it's an institution, they are not going to uh, be as generous as our last guy was, and they're going to want a return on investment at some point. So the equation changes. So these are the things that players, staff, fans are all weighing up. I don't think we've quite got to, um, you know, come get me please yet um, because nothing really has changed. I mean, it has all happened so quickly and there are so many question marks about this sale even being able to, to get away in time that I think there's still a reasonable chance. I think people should, should at least sort of factor this into their thinking about this, that this might not happen. It, mm. it might go, as I suggested in my last answer, that he's unable to find a buyer that can do it, that is able to do it. If it is a bank, for example, will, will the bank's shareholders and investment committee agree to this with everything that's hanging over the top? Of, of Chelsea and Roman Abramovich. Uh, and will he just decide to sit and wait this out and come up with some sort of legal way of parking Chelsea for a bit? Um, I think that's something to sort of bear in mind. Um, so a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unanswered questions at Chelsea. Look, there, there was a whole round of press conferences today. Emma Hayes, the women's manager, was talking earlier. They're all tr- desperately trying to focus on the football. All, all, you know, like, and this every club would be the same. Yeah. Now, the questions you raise are going to only going to grow, though, aren't they? It's only, it's only natural. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, certainly, the speculation will mount if and when um, you know for, further repercussions for Chelsea follow, especially if if he is named um, on any sanctioned list in the way that Rusmanov uh, has been, um, but. Uh, just um, to look at one scenario. So if, if uh, Abramovich were to sell up and if he were to depart um, from Chelsea and cut his ties with the club, um, you know, after nearly two decades of ownership, what would you feel is his legacy? Do you, do you think it would be one that we looked on, putting aside whatever political links he may have, um, 
in, in terms of purely the, the footballing side of things, um, would it be seen as something that overall was positive for, for football um, or, or, or more leaning towards a negative where, you know, certainly there's been already a lot of discussion over the last several days about what Roman Bramovich has done for football in this country and uh, whether um, the way in which he perhaps um, pumped money into football to inflate salaries and inflate transfer fees and all the rest of it um, was perhaps a bad thing. Um, or, or you have the opposite view that, in fact, it, it helped to shake up the game and, and turn it into a more commercially minded um, entity? Well, I suspect your listeners will have a, a, a much clearer and firmer view on that than me, right? <laughs> um, and, and one that, you know, I've got to be careful about how I share opinions on things because mm. I, I, you know, I'm a reporter. Mm. I don't write, I'm not a columnist. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sort of talk radio sort of guy whose, whose job it is to wind people up every morning. Um, you know, I have to report on things. I think you, you framed how his legacy will be viewed in your question. As I've said, Chelsea fans, the vast majority of them, are very clear how they feel about him. This is a guy who took a club that would already, you know, after sort of 70s and 80s, early 90s that weren't so successful, in fact, were pretty unsuccessful, um, had already started to turn a corner thanks to Matthew Harding's money mainly, um, and they started to win trophies in the late 90s and early noughties. But, you know, that that period, if you like, the sort of first flowering of this sort of more recent Chelsea was running out of steam. Um, of course, Matthew Harding died tragically. Um, uh, and they were running out of money when Roman Abramovich came along. And he really did transform them and turn them into title winners and European champions are now world champions. So Chelsea fans feel, you know, their feelings towards him are pretty obvious, right? And in many ways, that is what has sustained Roman Abramovich as a kind of presence in British life. You could argue, and people do, and people will be now, they are already, he almost invented sports washing. He almost brought the concept of sports washing to, the, he was the first. You know, a guy who had made his money in the Wild East era of the sort of post-Soviet Union period, um, uh, which I think I'll probably get away with saying was, you know, controversial, mm -hmm. uh, uh, certainly unusual. Well, not unusual. Well, it was pretty usual at the time in Russia, but um, raises questions anyway. Um, made his money there. Uh, had been a politician in, in, in the Soviet, in Russia, a governor, um, and certainly had had to have dealings with uh, Putin and Yeltsin before. Um, and his ownership of Chelsea had, you know, sort of bought him the love and respect of a very sort of passionate and loud group of people, football mm. fans. Yeah. So, I think any conversation about his legacy is going to be, it's impossible for, for someone to sort of objectively go, well, was he, was he a good football owner? Well, yeah, Chelsea fans obviously think he was a great football owner because they won 19 trophies. The rest of us, well, no, we, 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 we don't see it through that lens. We, we would sort of say, 
yeah, but you know what? Why was he doing that? Mm. And look and look and look where we are now. We, mm. you would always be racing to the end. Yeah. So that is the complexity of this, and uh, and it's sort of a bigger question for sort of football to think about as to who they let own our clubs. Um, so um, the points you raise about his ownership in 2003 and the, you know, the kind of explosion in, 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 in spending. And, and, the, and the, yes, you could, as a neutral, say it was quite nice that someone other than Manchester United and Arsenal came along and shook things up. Liverpool were in the doldrums a little bit at the time. And, um, you know, and, and Chelsea certainly did, um, um, you know, muscle in. And um, and we went from sort of a kind of a two horse race to, to a three, four, five, you know, a, a, more horses in the race. Um, and that that is part of the Premier League's success. Mm. And I think if you're a sort of more neutral football fan who doesn't follow one of the big six, you know, what? you might say, well, that OK, that's good. That's that's better than the situation in Germany where Bayern Munich win every year or or Spain, where it's a sort of a duopoly, maybe Atletico winning every every now and then or, or Juve when they won it eight, nine years in a row. You know, you, do we thank him for that? I don't know. Mm. No, very fair. That's very fair. Um, and then just uh, in closing then, Matt. So it's again, going back to the point you just touched on. Um, the whole subject of sports washing obviously has been in the news over the last few months um, since the takeover of Newcastle United, um, but has been touched upon on and off for, um, what, some close to 14 years now um, since um, Abu Dhabi essentially um, took over Manchester City. And, and clearly both of those two clubs, um, it has been suggested, uh, were purchased for largely sports washing reasons. Now, do, do you think that the Premier League, um, given some of the response to um, what's going on with Chelsea and with Abramovich, as well as some of the scrutiny it has come under linked to both Newcastle United and Manchester City, um, might look to perhaps change things in terms of um, scrutiny that's in place um, perhaps tests that are in place, um, possibly even come up with their own version of FFP or some alternative to that, which, which does try to ensure that the extent to which um, governments or oligarchs um, from abroad can't use football in football clubs um, to, to help with their own PR and their own images. Do, do you think there might be some knock-on effect from that? Where the Premier League is concerned, oh, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not really. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, well, look, the, 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 I think the point that um, that uh, is often missed in these conversations uh, is. There's this sort of sense that it's the Premier League's fault or UEFA's fault or FIFA's fault or English Football League's fault. We could be talking about Derby County. We could be talking about anything, right? It's, oh. it's the, the league's fault, right? What is the league? The league is the clubs. The clubs set the rules. Yeah. They are member associations. So the Premier League, the Premier League's rule book, 
is what has been agreed with the clubs. Now, Premier League clubs, even your own, do not want to raise the barrier to entry too high. Mm. Because nearly all of them are loss-making. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people buy football clubs and run football clubs for lots of different reasons, right? It could be to sports wash. It could be to, you know, launder reputations and launder money. It could be a property play. Uh, it could be because it's fun. Because it, yeah. it's it's because frustrated sports people and they, you know, running a football club is great. It could be uh, giving something back, yeah. um, sort of civic pride. Uh, it could be because they because they're arrogant and they think I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one. It could be some of them make do make some money. Some of them do make a bit of money. Or it could even be like the Liverpool situation where the club's owners, Fenway Sports Group, purchased the club for a knockdown price. And it was on the verge of administration with a view to selling it for a much exactly. larger sum years yep. later. Patient money. And that they, yep. they're gonna they've they've seen something and um you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna sit on this asset. So it's, it's an asset class. You hear it all the time, their investment horizon, all the language, it's all, <laughs> it's all, all, all of the, this is all part of the rich tapestry of, of modern football these days. Umpteen different reasons. It's not. It's no longer the local Mister Big, right? You've got guys with, you know, with 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 data teams talking to you about the intersection of entertainment, tech, and sport, and sweet spots, and all this sort of stuff, right? Umpteen different reasons for doing this, but none of them want to make it too com- too hard and complicated to get out. So that's the first thing, right? You know, you know reducing the field of people who might want to buy my club at some point or invest in my club if I want to sell a stake. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, sport, whether we like it or not, is, is, a, is an economic activity, right? And um, has to sort of sit within um, the kind of body of rules around economic activity. So it has to comply with UK co- company law, and, uh, you know, until very recently, although it still kind of does, because this is where most of the clubs are based, have to fit in with European Union competition law. Um, so there's, there, are, there are sort of like supra sport. There are, there, are, there are rules to the game that are bigger than sport about who can buy clubs, who can't. And if we're just going to pick on the biggest, most recent controversial one, Newcastle, Eventually, a sovereign wealth fund um, was allowed to uh, buy one of our clubs. It's what the previous owner wanted to happen and was willing to go to court to make happen. The other clubs might have had some issues around it, but it got through, right? Um, The Premier League have got themselves into a slightly ridiculous position where they are trying to tell us that the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia is completely separate to the state of Saudi Arabia, despite the fact that personalities involved are completely the same. And uh, Saudi Arabia is an absolute monarchy and it's a sovereign wealth fund. But anyway, but this is the point. They've got themselves into this this sort of slightly ridiculous position because it's legal. There was no legal impediment to stopping a sovereign wealth fund, which can invest in, in 
all manner of things in our country if it wants to, and is, and probably will do so even more now. Mm. There was nothing to stop it buying one of our football teams. So will football, having been through that Newcastle experience, having been through its attempts to sort of try and regulate the finances of Man City and PSG, having been through what we talked about in the last sort of 20 minutes or so with, with Roman Abramovich, will it look at itself and go, oh, God, should we, um, should we sort of try and um, be a bit more careful about who we let buy our clubs? I don't know. I don't, think, I don't, know, if it, I don't know if it can. Mm. <laughs> the, geez, you know, the toothpaste is, is out of the tube. Um, and it's going to become... I mean, one of the things that, that was often used to be said by the... It was one of his favourite sayings former Premier League chief exec and, and sort of exec chairman, which is more was that we don't do subjective tests. We don't, it's not a country club, right? We don't do cut of your jib type tests here. Yeah. And of course the, the great contrast, and that's why he used to talk about the owners director's test or fit and proper as it was then being this objective test that you, you fail or you, you comply with, you know, it's a tick box exercise, you know, have you committed fraud? You know, are you, you know, um, you know, a check, a checklist of things that you there is there is no gray. That's the theory anyway. Yeah. And the contrast with that would be American sport. Let's let's pick the NFL. Where it is like a country club, the other owners vet you, the other owners can blackball you. Now, do we want that in our country? Well. You or I might want that or might think it's not a bad idea anyway. But the owners of, our, of the clubs don't want that. And I'm not sure it's legal either. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly not. Uh, but no, I, I tend to agree. I mean, with the kind of wider point that, uh, yeah, I think um, certainly where reforms are concerned uh, to try and, rein in some of the potential or actual extravagance that we see from some of these ultra rich owners, um, which certainly helps, you know, certain clubs to achieve success that otherwise it might not through trying to operate in a more self-sustained financial way. Um, it is something that uh, may, may ultimately not change. Um, but, uh, it, it, it's nonetheless something that um, I think will continue to receive some scrutiny. Um, even once um, this Roman Abramovich story um, comes to some form of conclusion, um, you know, there will still be debates around Manchester City. There will still be debate around Newcastle United. Um, if we come to the summer and we see both of those two clubs spending enormous amounts of money whilst at the same time securing more sponsorship deals with companies that seem to apparently be very close to in some form or fashion the owners then uh, you know the, the scrutiny will continue but change in itself may, may not then follow but uh, that either can be a depressing thought for some fans um, less so for others but uh, let's leave it there Right. Well, thank you so much, Matt. That's been really um, not only enlightening, but also... Um, depressing, very, uh, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It is depressing. It, it, it can be. It can be, certainly. Um, 
you know, for, for those football purists that, you know, harken back to the days of the 70s and 80s mm. before it yeah, became yeah. big business, uh, you know, those days are long gone. And if, you know, you certainly dream of those days returning, well, you know, you'll be waiting a long, long time. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, this is certainly uh, part of part and parcel of the modern fabric of football, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, whatever happens with Chelsea and with its ownership, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, the club will still continue unless there's some absolute disaster, relatively speaking. Um, there will still be a major factor in English football. But uh, right, thank you so much, Matt. Um, right, if we no. just close with uh, a quick plug where people can find you on social media, if that's okay. Sure. Um, well, you can find my stuff at The Athletic, um, which unfortunately is behind a paywall. But, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, again, just the nature of uh, the industry these days. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter. You don't have to pay for that. And uh, my uh, tag is uh, MJ Shrimper. And uh, it's because I'm a South End United fan. <laughs> Somebody has to be. Yeah. Uh, excellent. And our, by the way, up. just a little bit of trivia for you guys. Um, our highest ever attendance at Roots Hall. Do you want to have a guess? Who was it against? Not Liverpool, was it? Yes, it was Liverpool. Oh, wow. Uh, FA Cup? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You won, but it was a good game. Oh, excellent. Good stuff. Brilliant. Nice bit of trivia to end the, end the episode. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. Um, listeners, I'll be back um, early next week um, to talk about the uh, 2021 accounts that were released um, just this week. Um, they've been published on the company's house website. Twist Ramble, the excellent Twist Ramble, has already released a mega thread covering the accounts. So I'll be doing the same um, as well. And I'll be going into more more detail on the accounts um, on the next podcast. Um, But until then, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.